Isaiah 41, verse 1. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. At the end of the earth, tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbour and says to his brother, Be strong! The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. And he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes with the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's pray together now. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you feed us with your word. And that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth that you speak. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he reveals your truth to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit also would be at work in each of us as we come to your word today. That he would be stirring us up to glorify the Son. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've ever been to a zoo, you may have noticed that most of the animals don't seem to be pretty bothered by all the visitors that are going along streaming past them. One particular animal, meerkats, they're known for being absolutely terrified of predators, aren't they? So much so that in the wild, meerkats, they keep guards up looking all over the place just to watch for a predator coming. They are terrified. Well, in the zoo, though, meerkats couldn't care less if a noisy toddler comes along and bashes on the glass window ferociously. They don't care. What's the difference? What's the difference between the wild and in a zoo? Well, you know, they know who is in charge. They know 
Who can give them what they need? They know the ones with the power are the zookeepers, not the toddlers. They don't need to be constantly gazing around, setting someone on watch. They're not anxious. They're they're not ready to sprint into a hole as soon as a predator comes near. They're totally safe. All their needs are met by the staff. So you see, knowing who is in charge and whether or not they are for you or against you, well, that makes all the difference when you're in a time of need, doesn't it, friends? When trouble comes. Are you like a terrified meerkat, always on the lookout for trouble? Gazing around, anxious. Well, today's passage has something to say to you. In Isaiah 41, at 1 to 10, God speaks to two groups of people. In scene one, that's verses 1 to 7, God speaks to the nations of the world. He reveals something incredibly important about who he is here. He is sovereign. And then in verses 8 to 10, scene two, God launches from this revelation that he is the sovereign one and gives a wonderful promise to his chosen people. He promises this. He promises to be with them. It's wonderful. Do you know, despite appearances, God is in absolute control and he is directing all things. Christian, he wants you to know this and to know that he is with you so that you might not be afraid. God tells us, don't be afraid because I am with you. Now, I hope you'll see that as we look at our passage this morning, that's what God reveals in scene one. That fuels the fire for the promise in scene two. Well, when one of my boys is hurt or, or afraid, do you know one of the things I do is just pick them up and I say, it's okay, daddy's here, don't worry. It's daddy's here. And you know, the words only, they don't comfort my children. What comforts them is the fact that they know that I am much stronger than they are. And that I always protect them and that I love them. So when they hear the words, don't worry, don't be afraid. They do trust. And God says here in Isaiah verse 10, don't be afraid for I am with you. And he says this in the context of just having reminded his people of the immense strength he has and his ability to protect his sovereignty. So we're going to look at the passage in two sections this morning. God the Father says, don't be afraid for, scene one, I am. And scene two, with you. So in verses one to seven then, God gives a thunderous announcement to the entire world. It's something like this. Do you know who I am? I'm the sovereign Lord. Scene one is all about how God is sovereign. And if you're taking notes, scene one is I am. I am. The first way God shows this is by demonstrating that he is comprehensively sovereign over kings. Come to Isaiah 41 verse one with me now. Listen to me in silence. O coastlands, let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. 
he makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. And so God is calling the nations of the world, those who worship other gods and they serve them. He's, he's welcoming, welcoming them to his divine courtroom. And he asks them some questions about a mysterious person called one from the east. Verse two. This is a mighty conqueror who has essentially destroyed and subdued nations and kings effortlessly. This is someone they apparently know and has filled them with fear because of his great power. I can't get into the details here, but the general consensus is that the one from the east this is the Persian king Cyrus, who conquers Babylon about 200 years later. He struck terror into the hearts of the nations. But here's the incredible part of what's God, what God is saying here. As he quizzes the nation of the world, uh, nations of the world about the activity of this conqueror, he asks things like this. Who stirred up the conqueror in the first place? Who called him to action? Who's behind the scenes handing nations over to him and subduing kings for him? God answers his own question in verse four, doesn't he? It is I, the Lord, I am he. That's amazing, isn't it? Proverbs 21 uh, verse 1 says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in my hand, says the Lord. I turn it wherever I want. Just imagine a small child sitting on their parents' lap with a flickering birthday cake in front of them. Uh, They try to blow the candles out, but it's the parent behind them who really blows the candles out. We know that, don't we? The child thinks they did it themselves. That's an analogy. But on a completely different scale, something that is quite frankly mind-boggling to imagine, uh, let alone understand, friends, the mighty, mighty conqueror that God describes in Isaiah 41 is not the one who really does all of these things. He's not the one conquering. It's the activity of the sovereign Lord. This one from the east is nothing but a small child blowing raspberries at a birthday cake with undisturbed candles. Earlier on in the book of Isaiah, uh, we read of the arrogant king Sennacherib, uh, who has been boasting of his supreme uh, military achievements. He was threatening Israel and he was mocking the God of Israel. Here's how God responds to, uh, to him in Isaiah 10 verse 15. Does an axe exalt itself above the one who chops with it? Does a saw magnify itself above the one who soars with it? And then again in Isaiah 37, 26, God responds to him again. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stones. In other words, friends, King Sennacherib's boasting about all his conquests. You can see a picture of one of them in the British Museum. He loved his conquests. All of that boasting is just like an axe boasting about chopping a tree down. It's ludicrous, isn't it? It's crazy. Kings are like tools in the hands of the sovereign Lord. Long ago, he planned exactly what to do. 
The Lord is the one who directs the hearts of kings to fulfill his will. God is sovereign over all things, personally and purposefully. While it may look like a conqueror or a king is in charge, in reality they are serving the living God who is directing their hearts. It might seem like a conqueror or a king or a dictator or a president or a prime minister or a counsellor or a line manager or a teacher is acting completely in their own will and power. But in reality, it is the Lord who carries it through. As Isaiah 41 verse 4 booms. In other words, kings are directed by God. Now, I, do, I need to mention uh, briefly uh, some things, some truths that must be held in tension with this. Firstly, the truth that God is the very source of goodness and justice. And so the working of his sovereign power in no way compromises this. God is never responsible for evil. And secondly, the truth that as human beings, we are 100% accountable for everything that we do. The Bible makes it very clear that we are all still 100% accountable to God for how we live. God shows us that he is sovereign, friends. He directs the hearts and minds of kings. What great comfort does this give us as Christians? When you look at the state of the world today, regardless of the appearance of the chaos and the seeming triumph of earthly power all around us, we must remember that God is sovereign and he is always bringing about and directing his perfect and infinitely good plan, which he made long ago. Come to verse four with me. God asks this, who has performed this, calling the generations from long ago? Who has performed this, calling the generations from the beginning? And do you see what he's saying here? Not only are conquerors, And kings directed by his powerful hand, but also nations are directed by him. Nations are directed by him. The Lord has called and directed the generations of the world, friends, from the beginning. In other words, God has been working to direct the lives of every person on earth since the beginning of time. Listen to Acts 17 26. From one man he made all the nations so that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands see the rise and fall of empires and kingdoms throughout history has all happened under his divine direction sorry and he doesn't just allow kingdoms to come and go but he himself is the one who marks out every point What is God essentially saying to us in verses 1 to 7? He's saying that all things are directed by him. Scripture teaches that God plans and ordains everything that happens in our lives, even the life of birds. Listen to Jesus speaking in Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care this means that before your great-grandmother was married friends when she was out in the garden running the family washing through the mangle 
she caught a glimpse of your great-grandfather chopping some woods and there was a spark in her heart skipped a beat I love that man you know right there the sovereign lord of the universe was at work bringing you into existence God is infinitely comprehensively sovereign over all things in the universe and that is breathtaking so what does it mean for us that God is sovereign over all things well it means that only looking to God can save you only looking to God can save you at the end of scene one verses five to seven God describes the ridiculous insanity of those who frantically rush to force God's for deliverance in times of trouble These people see the terrifying things that the real God is doing. And they hurry to build idols that they think will save them. It's comedic, really. I mean, in verse six, they say to another, and we can assume that their knees are knocking here. Be strong. And in verse seven, a man welds together another idol and he tells himself, this is good. This will save us. And meanwhile, his workmate hammers in a few extra nails to keep it from falling over, to keep his God from falling over. The whole thing is just laughable. It's meant to be. But maybe you have been frantically building flimsy idols, thinking that they will protect you. And maybe you've been nailing down your life savings securely. And maybe you've been desperately chasing after the next promotion or that perfect relationship or whatever else in order to make you feel secure. Do you know none of it can give you any security? There's only one place to go for real security in the world, friends. The sovereign Lord of the universe. The sovereign God. Secondly, God's sovereign means that God has infinite purpose in all things. Infinite purpose in all things. If God really is in control of the whole universe, then nothing that happens in your life is random or accidental. Even the power cut today is not random. This includes the pandemic, the war on Ukraine, the cost of living crisis. There is a bigger picture a bigger goal behind everything in this world that happens even the suffering even when we can't imagine what possible reason there could be or what possible purpose there could be just think of Christ's crucifixion at the time from a human perspective it seemed completely tragic meaningless out of control God but as Christ hung on the cross He was paying for the sins of his people. Can I encourage you that no matter what your circumstances are right now, not one millisecond is not filled with purpose. Not one inch is outside God's sovereign rule. So in scene one, the I am scene, God demonstrates to the nations of the earth that he is sovereign. And next in scene two, this very same God turns to his chosen people and he promises to be with them. So I've called it the with you scene. God says, I am with you. That's verses eight to ten. Come with me to verse eight here. 
But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you off. Now, if you've repented of your sins and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, this is you. This is family. God's family. And now the New Testament tells us that in no uncertain terms, those who have the faith of Abraham are his true descendants. And so Christians are the true descendants of Abraham. Christians are people who are chosen by God, people who have been taken from spiritual darkness into light, from death to life, called to be servants of God and to be adopted as his children. It's wonderful. And if you're listening this morning and you've been hearing about this sovereign God, but you don't know him for yourself, I need to tell you that it's only because of his incredible kindness that you are kept alive by him right now. Because you are his enemy, friend. You are his enemy. By rebelling against God, you have sinned against the most powerful being in the universe. But his kindness and patience is intended to bring you to repentance. This incredible news is because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for sinners like you and me. Friend, if you do repent of your sins and believe in him as your Lord and Saviour, you will be instantly forgiven. You'll be turned from God's enemy into God's family. Verses 8 to 10 are addressed then to Abraham's descendants, to Christians. So after demonstrating his immense purpose-filled sovereignty, directing all things for all time, and after turning to address his chosen people, God gives one of the most stunning promises in the whole Bible. It's absolutely breathtaking. In verse 10, God says this, Fear not. For I am with you. I am with you. The one directing all hearts and minds. Who calls kings and conquerors his servants. The one who forms and guides nations and generations. He is with you, Christian. He's with you. Can you see how the truths of scene one and scene two come together to create the most staggering explosion of confidence in the Christian life? If things come crashing down all around you, if you're struggling or anxious or tired, the sovereign Lord of the universe who directs all things says to you, Christian, do not fear, for I am with you. It's absolutely overwhelming. It's, it's incredibly comforting. He doesn't promise to remove all the things that make us afraid. He doesn't promise to take our present sufferings away. But the promise of his presence banishes fear. When we know that the one who directs the hearts and minds of rulers is with us. Well, then that means that whatever we say or do, whatever they say or do, is in complete submission to his will. Every millisecond is governed by God who is with us throughout, working it all together for his good and ours. Even when we don't understand how it possibly could be. The God who directs the hearts 
and minds of kings and nations is with you, Christian. His presence isn't simply for moral support. It's much more. Here's a more wooden translation of uh, verse 12. Listen to this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not gaze around in anxiety like a meerkat in the wild. For I am your God. I will make you resolute. More, I will help you. More still, I will hold you fast with my righteous right hand. The sovereign Lord is really with you, Christian. And he promises to strengthen and to help and to uphold you. Verse 10 expands then on what God's presence with us means in three ways. He says, I will strengthen you or I will make you resolute, resolved, he says. He guarantees to strengthen your resolve through adversity. Don't we need that, friends? Don't we need that? Next, he says, more, I will help you or I'll support you. He guarantees to supply everything you need from his infinite resources. Are you in need of strength and help through your trial, Christian? Perhaps you or someone close to you is very ill. You're finding it incredibly difficult just to keep going. Maybe you're longing to be married and the temptation to date or marry a non-Christian is just growing because you're afraid you'll never find a Christian to uh, marry. Maybe you're wrestling with an addiction that keeps coming back. Whatever trial you're facing right now, Christian, the sovereign Lord of the universe who directs all things says this to you. I will make you resolute. More. I will help you. He will provide the strength to get through it. He will personally help you. Don't be afraid because the sovereign Lord is with you and he will give you the strength and the resolve and the help that you need. So God will strengthen and help you. And third, in verse 10, he also says, more still, I will uphold you or grip you with the right hand of my righteousness. In other words, I will hold you fast. God's right hand here represents his personal and active power and righteousness is complete uprightness and moral perfection. And so God also guarantees to personally hold you fast, to uphold you, to grip you so that you're absolutely secure, Christian. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. It's left you feeling like a bruised reed in a smouldering wick. Maybe you're in a difficult time of parenting at the moment. The sovereign Lord of the universe directs all things. He says, I will uphold you. I will personally sustain you and hold you through it all. This is our gracious Loving Heavenly Father, friends, he is with us, personally holding us with his righteous right hand. But there's more here. See, in the full revelation of Scripture, we understand that the only way that God can can be with sinful human beings, that's all of us, is by the powerful and active work of Jesus Christ. The righteous one, 
who gave his life as our ransom. Anyone who believes in him will be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God. So, in other words, the way that the sovereign Lord of the universe is with you, Christian, is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is the righteous right hand of God who upholds you, Christian. Well, this is a little bit like going backstage after scenes one and two are finished with a full revelation of the New Testament. So the backstage part I've called through Jesus Christ. I am with you through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the son, is the one through whom God grips and upholds you. I'm not suggesting that every mention of the phrase at the right hand of God is referring to Jesus, but here I think it is. Isaiah uses similar language elsewhere to refer to the Messiah. For example, chapter 48, verse 13, God says this, My right hand spread out the heavens. And we know this is Jesus, the Messiah, because Psalm 102 tells us that. And listen to Isaiah 53, verse 1. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant. In John 12, this verse is explained to be directly about Jesus. So it's no surprise that we're also told in places like Colossians 1, that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who by his immense and active power creates and sustains all things. In him, Jesus all things hold together. When in Isaiah 41.10, the sovereign Lord of the universe says to you, don't be afraid, for I am with you. I'll strengthen and help and uphold you. He does all of this for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is incredible. In chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, we're told about a time when um, Jesus' disciples were afraid. The boat they're in was starting to sink. You're probably familiar with this story, aren't you? There was a furious storm. Jesus is asleep below deck. The disciples, they wake Jesus and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we die? And what does Jesus say? He responds by telling the wind and the waves to be quiet. And they do. They are. And then he turns to his disciples and says... Why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? Why does Jesus link their lack of faith to fear there? Well, the reason they were so afraid in that boat was fundamentally because they didn't believe Jesus was God. If they did believe he was God, then they'd know that every single drop of water that was filling that boat up was both created and directed and upheld by the immense power of the one sleeping on a pillow below deck. Christian, the sovereign Lord of the universe says to you, don't be afraid for I am with you. Perhaps for you right now, it does feel like God is sleeping below deck while you're amidst a great storm. He doesn't seem to be taking any notice. He doesn't seem to be in control at all. Maybe you have suffered at the hands of evil people and it's left deep scars. Or you're battling with a thick cloud of depression that seems to come from nowhere and you just can't shake it. Maybe you've lost your job 
or you've been given devastating diagnosis, or your marriage has broken down, or you've held the lifeless body of a precious child in your hands. Maybe you have experienced more suffering and pain than you ever thought possible, and there's no end in sight. You could easily put yourself in the boat with those disciples and say, Jesus, don't you care about me? Isaiah 41, 10 gives us the repeated and the resounding answer of the whole Bible fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not gaze around in anxiety, for I am your God. I will make you resolute. More, I will help you. More still, I will hold you fast with my righteous right hand. This promise is sealed for Christians by the precious blood of Jesus, who is our guarantee of the presence of the sovereign God, of his strength and help and support. We can't know the infinite depths of the purposes of God in every single moment of our lives. But we can be assured that he is sovereign. And he is working all things together for our good and his glory. At the cross we see the greatest suffering of all, brought about by the actions of evil men. Yet also ultimately brought about by the sovereign plan of God to work together infinite goodness for our redemption. And from this side of of eternity, uh, friends, God promises that he is with you. And that every moment in your life, even the trials, even the suffering, is somehow part of his ultimate plan for you. As Psalm 139.16 says, All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So Christian, don't be afraid. The sovereign Lord who directs all things is with you. And he's strengthening and upholding you right now. It's my prayer that you would be strengthened and encouraged and emboldened by this promise this morning. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that as you soak in the words of our passage, that your vision of the sovereign Lord of the universe might be enlarged. And that your vision of his sovereign work in your life might be enlarged. And that all of it would be ultimately to his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. The one who breathed the stars into existence by the power of your word. We are truly humbled that you would draw near and reveal who you are to us. That you would call us from the ends of the earth, from the darkest pit, and bring us into your family by your righteous right hand. We thank you that because you are the sovereign Lord and because you are with us, we have no reason to fear anything in this world. But Lord, we often do fear things and the focus of our eye is often weak. Please help us to trust you to lead us along the right paths. Please help us to trust in you to provide all the strength we need to keep going and to pursue godliness. Lord, we thank you that you do ordain every moment in our lives, that you give us each breath and you've planned each day of our lives. Father, we thank you that you've guaranteed your presence with us by the powerful work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
and that through him we have been reconciled to you. We thank you that you are with us right now, that you've made us into your holy temple and that you dwell with us and in us and sustain us. Lord, please help us not to be fearful and to trust that you really are with us. Father, as we come near the end of the service this morning, we pray that you would guide each of us into an ever-increasing vision of your great sovereignty over all things. That you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. Help us to gain an ever-increasing knowledge of your presence with us, that we might not be afraid. And Lord, may we all live lives that magnify your name and bring your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.